I think achieving contentment is very possible. Being joyful all the time, no, I don't think that's possible. And I don't also think it's healthy either. Teacher's like, okay, everybody, all right. Uh, pop quiz time, we're gonna do the uh, vocabulary to it. And I just yell out, wait, I gotta make my cheat sheet. I like to joke that I make my living throwing away pe dead people's sex toys. I can guarantee you there is nothing you have felt that I haven't felt. Yeah, and um, I, I am a formerly miserable person. If people don't know how you are, they cannot help you. Anxiety is the rattling of the lid on the pot of boiling water. Mm -hmm. Everything is connected, like me, letting go of the past, me not hanging on to my anger, me like trying to become a present being. Are you, you're not in your peak dieting phase now. <laughs> I mean, I was I was only in it for like a quick six minutes on a car ride once <laughs> because there's no, I was in between. Can we stop for snacks? <laughs> yeah, I was equidistant between two fast food places. So that, it, so that if I'm in a situation with like my older daughter and she says something hurtful to me, like you're wearing a lot of statement jewelry right now. In the very, very niche world of American ghost towning. Uh, my dad is a minor celebrity. Well, we have 50% of the country's in dire poverty, is in homelessness. You know, LA is 50% of the country's in homelessness. Uh, that seems like a not a correct statistic. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sean Conroy Gets Happier. It's me, Sean, and my last name is Conroy. Um, you may have noticed that most of these interviews were recorded back in November and December, seven or eight months ago, or roughly as long ago as the Mesozoic era. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we talk about that it seems like it's taken out of a time capsule or something. Um, but these intros I record present day, currently. So let's talk about what happened yesterday. I, um, after 80-something days in social distancing lockdown, I mean, I've been out, you know, to the supermarket. I did go this week to a pool party. Uh, it was a pool party of one. My friend has a pool and I went to her place um, and we hung out for a couple hours, socially distanced. Um, but yesterday I went to a protest here in Hollywood. So it was a little overwhelming to go from constantly being alone to being suddenly surrounded by 20,000 people. But, you know, I felt like if I didn't go, it would only be 19,999 people. So, I went. Um, I sort of half-heartedly prepared to go to the protest. I mean... After all the stuff we've seen on the news for the last week or so, uh, of the violence and so on and so forth, I put, you know, an extra shirt in my bag and some water and, um, I'm trying to remember, an extra mask, you know, because if you get hit with your, your tear gas, not tear gas, pepper spray, not pepper spray, pepper 
a solution, oxygenated pepper solution, whatever. Anyway, I brought an extra mask. Um, and I went, I definitely felt, uh, I definitely felt out of place. I definitely was anxious the whole time because of my own, uh, uh, you know, I am sort of on the outer edge of a Venn diagram for several symptoms, which might contribute to being more susceptible to the COVID-19 virus. Um, I think Nancy Pelosi would not call me morbidly obese, but she might call me comorbidly obese, comorbidly obese. Um... And I will say, most people were wearing masks at the protest. Lots of them were not. So I was aware of that. I was very aware of that the whole time. Uh, but I went down there, and I was by myself. You know, giant white dude with a big beard and a huge black backpack wearing a black mask and Oakley sunglasses. Uh, I couldn't decide if I looked more like a cop or a three percenter pretending to be anti-fa not sure uh but it was uh you know i was there and uh that meant being in a crowd of people and it was not a march it was not a march it was definitely not a march. I mean, a march to me implies that you are moving briskly with purpose. Uh, this was more of a an amble, an occasional amble with purpose. Um, and I, you know, I couldn't hear what anybody was saying. I couldn't really make out what was supposed to be happening, just that we were all that we were all out there, which I think is the point, is the mass, you know, the, 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 the size of it, to demonstrate that people feel strongly about something. Um, there were lots of people circulating through the crowd with, um, you know, megaphones with those little CB speakers on them and starting various chants. Um, the only trouble I had was at one point... We, we knelt for, for some reason, for something quietly. Everybody, everybody, I thought we were kneeling. I knelt, I put a knee down and I realized after about, I don't know, 45 seconds, how incredibly painful it is to kneel on pavement. And so I, I had my head bowed and I looked up and I realized that everybody around me was actually sitting. They were not kneeling. I thought we were supposed to kneel. I misunderstood the instructions. Uh, I didn't read the instructions. And I, so I tried to shift my body weight from kneeling to sitting, uh, which seems possible unless you forget that you have a bunch of water in your backpack and it shifts your center of gravity so that as you start to move from kneeling on your left knee to sitting on your butt, uh, 
what I'm saying is I slowly toppled backwards to where it looked like I was kind of doing uh, crunches with my knees up in the air. Uh, I was, and I almost ended up in the lap of the guy behind me who probably thought I was a cop or a three percenter pretending to be Antifa. And I was like, sorry about that, man. And he was like, don't worry about it, buddy. And then he punched me in the shoulder really hard, um, which I don't know if that was, you know, him passive aggressively disapproving or not, but whatever the case, um, you know, it was, it was great to see all the signs that people had, uh, everything from somebody who had a sign that said, you are all children of God through faith for you, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And then they cited the source, uh, which was St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Um, you know, Galatia either was a region in Anatolia at that time, current day Turkey, or it was a reference to an ethnic group, um, that lived in Asia Minor then that was primarily composed of Celts. The Romans fucked up a lot of people's lives by moving them around. And anyway, that sign was right next to a sign that said, fuck racism, which is actually from, uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, or as it is commonly known to Corinthians. Um, I ended up right behind somebody, a couple of people who were holding up a huge banner overhead. Everybody had signs, you know. Um, they had paper signs, cardboard signs, oak tag signs, cloth signs. Everybody was holding up signs. But this was an unfurled banner that two people were holding up on the end of long dowels. And uh, I was right behind them, which initially bummed me out because... I couldn't see, but it didn't matter what was there to see. Uh, and then when I saw clips of it on the news, that banner, I could see. Every every news network that showed a clip of that march, you could definitely make out that banner. And I was like, oh, there I am, right behind those people. That was exciting. Uh, I think that I am going to put the CNN clip on my acting reel. Uh, so I was glad I went and if I get sick in a couple of weeks, we'll know why I'm back in self-imposed quarantine for the moment, not self-imposed. We're all supposed to be doing this right now. I think, right? I don't know. I don't know what the guidance is. Who, what are the people at the top saying on the episode today is my guest, Jamie Kurtz, who is the author of a book called The Happy Traveler, Unpacking the Secrets of Better Vacations. Remember when I said we recorded in November and December? Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about traveling, which I guess isn't really an issue right now, but it will be again at some point. Um, it definitely will be again. Uh, 
And one thing I realized listening to these is there are certain things I need to deal with in my own life. One of them being how obsessed I am with the TSA at that time of year. Like from October on, all I can think about is how angry I am at the TSA. And that needs to change. Uh, all right. Well, here it is. My interview with Jamie Kurtz. I study happiness. I teach about happiness and write about it and try my best to live it as well. The, the trifecta of happiness. Uh, so here's, here's, my, here's my first question for you. We don't really know each other, so I just want to kind of break the ice a little bit. What are you passionate about? Oh, my goodness. Well, I am passionate about singing. I love to sing musical theater. And what's your favorite musical? My, my favorite musical. Oh gosh, maybe Sweeney Todd, which is not topping too many people's lists, I don't think. But I, I don't I think, think I've ever even really seen it. Something. Mm-hmm. They did a movie with Johnny Depp and was it Helena Lan- Bonham Carter oh, a few was, years ago. Was Angela Lansbury? Maybe she was on Broadway with that or something. I don't. Remember. She was the original. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. I'll have to check it out. So you love to sing. Do you still perform in musicals? I do, yeah, when, when time permits and there's something right for me, I <laughs> love to try to get out there. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big time commitment, so right. you know, sometimes life gets in the way, but, but I, I do try to keep that part of my life going uh-huh. best I can. And so you love musicals. What else? Well, my stock answer always used to be uh, marathon running, but... I decided in the last year that I'm really over that. So, so you I'm ran, you ran, you, you ran a, bu- you ran a bunch of them, and then you got sick of it. Burnout. That's right. right. Yep. But you're still running. Yep, yep. Yeah, I hobble along. They're shorter. They're shorter races. They're shorter. They're slower. Uh-huh. Um, still part of my life, but it's not the source of joy that it once was. How many would you say you ran while you were doing it? Twelve. Wow. You don't forget. Yeah. You don't forget any of them. You just know exactly right off the top of your head. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Burned in my brain. I'm training right now myself for a half marathon in January. And that'll be the first, that'll be the first half marathon I've run in 13 years. So I think if I do that, I will have set the record for the slowest marathon in the history of the, you know, a 13 year and six month marathon (laughs) or whatever. 13 miles every 13 years. Right. Right. So, so tell okay. me this. You have <clears throat> dedicated yourself to the study of happiness. Why is that important? Why is happiness well, important? It's what most people say they want is their primary outcome in life. Even if they say, I want money or I want fame think what they're really saying is I want happiness and this is the way they think they're going to get it. Right. So if I get money, I can buy happiness. If I get fame, the people Mm -hmm. who think I'm famous will make me happy. Yeah. Or if I find love, then I'll be happy. Or if I run 12 marathons, then I'll be happy. (laughs) Well, but so you, (laughs) I would assume you were happy while you were doing those marathons, but you got to a certain point where you were like, this is not cutting it anymore. Yeah, my body hurts. Right. 
So that begs the question, is achieving happiness possible? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think achieving contentment is very possible. Being joyful all the time? No, I don't think that's possible. And I don't also think it's healthy either. Um, Who who would want to be around that person? Yeah. And you can't connect. How do you connect with someone like that? Mm -hmm. You don't go to somebody like that with your problems. You don't expect to really get a whole lot of empathy from someone who's just joyful all the time. But a state of contentment Right. Yeah, I do think that's achievable. We we were talking about this the other day. I was talking with a comic about happiness, and she was exactly using that word, contentment. And I think somewhere else you wrote the difference between tranquility and euphoria, and those being both states of happiness but different states mm-hmm. of happiness. And I feel like kind of maybe what you're saying now, I don't know, is that maybe tranquility is achievable with occasional bursts of euphoria. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. When you're euphoric or joyful, it's hard to focus. It's hard to do anything, but bask in your own wonderful feelings. And we love that. I mean, we live for, for those moments, but we're just not equipped to, to handle that all of the time. I also feel like if you did, if you were in that state all the time, it would lose its effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What is it if there's if you don't have anything to compare it to? How do you know you're even having it? This is why I feel lucky to be so miserable most of the time because when I do get joy, it's such a contrast to my normal state. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote a book, mm-hmm. and your book is about. It's called The Happy Traveler: Unpacking the Secrets of Better Vacations. So is it, does traveling make you happier, first of all? Me or people in general? Sorry, one, people in general. Yes, if you do it right. (laughs) That sounds like a big if. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it wrong. There's a lot of ways to be, even if it's not a terrible mistake, at least it doesn't make you as, as happy as you thought it would. Right, like you, Which you, is a, you you go on a trip and all of a sudden you're like, this kind of sucks. Why did I do this in the first place? Yeah, or it's not as great as it looked in the brochures or on Pinterest. Or I'm fighting with my family or I can't get over my jet lag. Or this is way more expensive than I expected. There's just so many ifs, like mm-hmm. you said. And, and how- I wanted to write the book partly because I, I, has, I had been traveling a lot and I'd always longed to travel during my poor graduate school days. And I was finally in a place in life where I had some time, I had some money, I could finally do it. And I study happiness. So you'd think I'd be able to craft a happy experience for myself. And I just was a little discontented the whole time I was on some of my earlier travels and it it really intrigued me why that was and how we could do it better because it's, it's a big investment. You spend a lot of time, you spend a lot of money, you don't get a whole lot of opportunity or most of us don't to do it. So maybe we could do it better. This idea of hedonic adaptation, which oh, oh boy. really touches on many things in life, but it basically means we get tired of stuff. Uh-huh. 
right? We can't, in the same way we can't be joyful and euphoric all the time, right. you can't look out at a beautiful view and be wowed for endless minutes, hours, days, right? We're always looking for new stuff. And so we need to vary it or we need to have strategies in place to really be able to see it and appreciate it and be wowed if that's, if that's the goal. And we're just not always that great. We're taking a million pictures and wanting to show everybody back home and just not being as, as in the moment as we could. So I think that's one challenge. Okay, so let's say I go to someplace beautiful. I'm I'm trying to think of a of a of a specific. Let's say I go to New Zealand. Have you been to New Zealand at all? I haven't, but I've just been to Australia. Okay, Australia is great too, but New Zealand I yeah. would characterize as one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. So I'm standing in New Zealand. I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, this is spectacular. It's beautiful. How can I not fall into the trap of uh, was it hedonic? adaptation yep how, how can i not <laughs> not lose my sense of wonder at this beauty mm -hmm. well a couple of different strategies mm -hmm. one is share it with someone else okay right so you tend to enjoy and savor things more when you're experiencing them with with somebody else to do something active so maybe go for a hike or you know, take a tour with someone who knows all about the, the thing that you're looking at because our ability to just stand and stare and wonder is really, it's just not something we're very well practiced at. It's like that scene in uh, Vacation, National Lampoon, when they finally get to the Grand Canyon, right? And Chevy Chase just goes, mm -hmm. great, let's get out of here. Or what? I mean, I don't have yeah. the exact line, but yeah. You can't just sit there and look at something for a long period of time without, I think, maybe getting a little bored. Yeah, most most people are that way. Mm -hmm. There's always that person who who can just stare and wonder for a long time and they're often artists, like people who can just really take a scene apart and look at all these different layers to it or or people who just have a whole lot of background information. Mm -hmm. So I would say like a geologist who went to the Grand Canyon would get a lot more out of looking at that than just, you know, Chevy Chase or or anybody right. um, who doesn't know anything about it. So um, a little background knowledge can also can also help. So if I go back to graduate school and get my degree in geology, I will appreciate the Grand Canyon more. But that just adds to my time and money investment in this trip to the Grand Canyon. Right. I think you could also just read a little, read you know, for an hour about it, <laughs> and that would teach you something. Fair point. As well. Fair point. Yes. Okay, so that's one thing. So what else can can you do to prepare yourself to have a better time when you're traveling? Well, one of the biggest things that I've learned in talking to people about my book and describing the different chapters is traveling with other people is often the thing they have the most trouble with. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. So I find that really fascinating. And it's true. Like we're, we're seldom with someone, even if we live with them in the same house, we're seldom with them 24 seven, like we are when we travel. Mm -hmm. We're together really all the time. And that can be kind of taxing, especially when you each have your own goals and you've invested a lot in making this experience really phenomenal. It can be hard to, to compromise in those kinds of situations. So conflicts often take place that you didn't expect. And you're also maybe tired, jet lagged, you know, uncomfortable in your body. So that makes it worse too. Maybe um, you're driving for 10 hours down the coast 
of Australia and it's raining the entire time and not only is the windshield wiper broken but it's squeaking the entire time and there's five of you in the car and you're all about to kill each other. I'm not uh, maybe that's too specific but you know uh, that could be one of the problems with traveling with other people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot going on there in that in that scenario, but it doesn't sound fun. Doesn't maybe sound maybe fun we should stop and fix the windshield wiper, or maybe we should just keep going. Maybe there's a debate about that, and it goes right. back and forth for hours, and, you know, there's mm-hmm. almost physical violence in the car. But And the kids are screaming, and <laughs> your body thinks it's the middle of the night, and it's actually 2 o'clock in the afternoon, right, and right. you're exhausted, and, yeah, all these pressures. Yeah, I mean, I feel like traveling is a high-stress situation a lot of times because you have to buy tickets for things and figure out money exchanges and make connections and figure out the language. And so anytime there's those stresses added to the normal stresses of interpersonal reactions or, or sorry, interpersonal relationships, it's just going to cause things to go a little haywire sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you might not be prepared for it. Because this is your wonderful vacation that you've right. been planning for, and it's supposed to be wonderful and magical. And, and you're ruining it, it Darlene. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do you how do you avoid that? Well, just go by I, yourself. You could you could just go by yourself. Yeah, but generally you don't have as much fun. Some people are really good at traveling alone, but. I've gotten very lucky in finding some really excellent travel partners, but you know, I think talking about it ahead of time before you're in the midst of it, just say, you know, we're not used to being together all the time and maybe it's going to get hard and maybe what, you know, what should we do? Should we, do you think we should have a little bit of time to ourselves every day? What do you, what do you expect is going to happen here? And the person might be shocked, but if they give it a moment's thought, they might hopefully say, yeah, you're right. So you're talking about it from this calm, cool place rather than jet lagged and grumpy and kind of on your last burst of, of energy and you're just rah, right. ready to go at it. And then, you know, you spend how much waste, how much time just being angry at one another that you could be enjoying. So maybe chatting about it ahead of time and really setting that realistic expectation that, you know, we might get a little sick of each other <laughs> what are we gonna do about that right and and you said you found some amazing travel partners I would assume that in some cases this is and in some cases this isn't a romantic relationship do you feel like it adds to like I've always felt like the way you know whether somebody's the right person for you is whether you can take a trip with them and have it go okay mm-hmm. yeah but you're saying maybe there's somebody else you want to go with just because they're fun to travel with as opposed to this is a person I spend all my time with. Mm-hmm. Takes a little, right, exactly. a little of the pressure off. Takes a little of the pressure off. And then yeah. you, you still have the fun of having somebody else with you without the, you know, why are you ruining my vacation, Darlene? And you don't have to share, you probably don't have to share a room. You right. know, if you're traveling with a friend, so then at least you get a little bit of time to yourself. Right built in. And what about traveling alone? Have you, have you done some of that? Do you have ideas about that at all? I do. I, I have done some pretty big um, trips alone. I traveled once for two months by myself, once for a couple of weeks around Eastern Europe and there's pros and cons. I mean, 
you know, it's nice to be able to do exactly what you want all the time, but I personally get too much in my head and stress too much about, am I finding the absolute best meal? Am I finding the best cafe to be in right now? And when you're with someone else, that doesn't, that's not such a primary focus. You have to think about what they might want. You have to, you know, your focus sometimes more on just being together as opposed to crafting the best possible day. And I, I found that pressure when I was by myself to just be kind of, kind of ruining my, my experience. <laughs> you, Cause you were too busy thinking about how great you were supposed to be making your time to really mm-hmm. be making your time great. Too much. Yeah. Too much time in my head. I, I will say I've traveled a lot by myself as well. And one thing that I always enjoyed about traveling by myself is it, it forces me to meet people and find out about people and interact with people. I do that better when I'm with someone else, maybe because I myself am just very bad at it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so any other person I'm with is going to be better. Right. So I guess we're different in that way. We're different that way. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been that person who could just make new friends when I traveled. Uh-huh. That's my, that's something I got to work on. Well, that's the I don't know. Feeling. Do you, is it going to make you happier or not to, to, to meet other people when you're, it sounds like you're working, it's working out just fine for you. I'm doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> Before you started getting into the idea of maybe I should apply my life's work to these trips I'm going on, have you either during that time or since then had any experiences that you felt were particularly, well, either way, have you had any experiences that you felt were particularly miserable or were particularly great because you were unprepared or more prepared? Sorry if that was too unspecific of a question, but no. So I did have one experience that I would say was a li- it, it was a little miserable and it kind of surprised me. I, I got to spend three months last fall at this time last fall in Florence, Italy. Three months. This was my life's dream. Like I thought this was going to be amazing. I was supervising a group of students from my university, and I was the faculty member. I was getting paid. I had an apartment. I love Florence, Italy, and I just was, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised at just how lonely I was and how much I missed the mundane stuff back at home. And I was just counting the days until it was over. Wow. And there are a lot of reasons for that, like personal ones, but, but I think I've learned that more time in a place is not always better. Right. And but it can be hard to live by that when you have a chunk of time and the plane ticket costs the same and you're flying really far. <laughs> like, oh, why not stay an extra week? Yeah, sometimes you just want to be home. Yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. done. Sometimes you just call it done. You want um, you want your own bed to sleep in. Yeah. Yeah. And your friends and just the familiar things like just life to be easy. Like life is hard when you're traveling any logistic, like how do I make coffee? How do I mail a letter? How do I do all these things that normally I just do on autopilot? Right. Right. That saves a lot of brain space in your ordinary life to not have to think about all that. But suddenly when it's all new and this whole new culture, like, Oh my gosh, this is exhausting. 
<laughs> yeah. Some days I just had to let myself watch Netflix. I'm like, I can't believe I'm in Florence, <laughs> Italy, watching. I could be Gilmore at the Uffizi right now. Yeah, I could be seeing Botticelli's right. and I'm watching Gilmore Girls reruns. I mean, I will say the dialogue on that show is spectacular. Ah, uh, it's I love it. I've seen <laughs> Amy, it. The Amy whole thing. Amy Sherman Palladino least. is a genius. Yes, and just stars so hollow. quick. Right. So, but but to that point, I do think it's the minutia. Like I myself get bogged down sometimes in the minutia of travel. Like I I just bought a ticket to go back to the East Coast to New York, which is where most of my family lives, including my parents and all my brothers and their families. So I'm going to go back there for Christmas, which will be great, and I'm excited about that. But already in my head, I'm anticipating just the nightmare of going from here to there. In other words, I get very... I get very upset with the dog and pony show of the TSA and what nonsense mm-hmm. that is. And I get very upset with the just the idea of flying in a tiny little seat. I'm 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 giant, by the way. I'm a huge guy. And you know, so I'm already anticipating that nightmare. And is there any way to to fight against those feelings and and at least achieve a slight degree of tranquility? if not euphoria. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah. I'm six foot three. It's hard. I, so I seldom have the attention span or the time to really like watch a bunch of movies or read a really worthless novel. Mm-hmm. And I try to save that stuff for a flight, a long flight and really try to just enjoy it. Just the the worst movies, movies that I would not enjoy it sitting at home, I would turn them off. I sitting on a plane, just it's such a treat to just watch a probably not very good movie and read a book. So I try to kind of save stuff like that for right. my long flights. I'm not I'm five nine, I'm not like no, super you're, tall, but yeah. it's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it's just uncomfortable being in that in that little capsule. Nobody ever says, no matter how tall or short they are, nobody ever says those seats are so comfortable. Ugh. Nobody. No. Um, You know, there's research where there are more fights on planes, fights break out on planes if it's a plane where you have to walk through first class to get to coach. Oh, really? Than if you enter in the back or you enter through coach. Because you you see those comfortable, smug people. Right. And then you sit down in your tiny seat and you're just mad. That guy gets to lie down. Yeah. Yeah. There's actual research on this. That's so. that's one of the places <laughs> where JetBlue gets it right, right? Mm-hmm. No first class. Yeah. Um, yep. And also, you know, there's all that advice about don't drink wine or don't drink alcohol on the plane. I drink wine on the plane, and I'm not afraid to admit it. And As you the don't, author of The Happy Traveler. And you don't get I, off like, the plane completely dehydrated and so screwed up from that. I drink water too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, th- that's the thing they always say is like, don't drink wine because you'll get dehydrated. And I'm like, okay, I won't drink wine because I'll have some Jack Daniels instead. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's another, and this is, this is where I get personal. What if 
I mean, traveling, you're, you're making it sound great, and it's definitely something I've enjoyed when I've done it. But let's say I can't necessarily afford to travel. Is there a way to reap some of the same benefits without taking those trips? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the other day I was driving, I drive an hour to work, and the sky, I, I wasn't, I, I never really pay attention because I'm listening to a podcast or whatnot, but I looked up at the sky and it looked like the clouds were in this amazing formation that it's like, you know, that is so beautiful. We don't see it because we live here all the time, but if this were like the Northern lights or something, people would drive and pay to see something this beautiful that I'm looking at right now. Like a lot of it's framing. A lot of it is our perspective. There's so much great stuff around us, natural beauty and otherwise. And part of it is perspective. I really believe that the challenge is just seeing where you live in a new way. Sorry, by perspective, yeah. you mean when you see stuff all the time, you're less likely to go, oh, this is amazing versus taking mm-hmm. a moment to go, hold on, this is amazing. Right. This is, it's that adaptation idea again. We just get used to stuff. I mean, you're in, you're in Southern California. Right. You're by the beach. Right. Yeah. When I first moved out there, I saw the beach and was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe I live here. And I made all these efforts to go do special things and, after a couple months, especially in Southern California, because it's always beautiful, like, I don't feel like going to the beach today. I could just go tomorrow. I could go tomorrow. And then the next day, you could go tomorrow again, forever. And you um, end up never going. And then you never go. Yeah. When I lived in Cal, not to toot my horn, but because Please, I knew toot, I was moving, away. I lived out toot there away. for three years. Mm-hmm. I was always going places on the weekends, like national parks and stuff. And one weekend I was planning to go to Yosemite, which, I mean, that's a haul. It's not convenient, but I thought I might never get get a chance again. So I asked one of my colleagues who lived in Southern California his whole life. I'm like, oh, you know, what's your what's your take on Yosemite? I was just making conversation. He was like, I've never been there. <laughs> like, what do you mean you've never been there? You're 50-some years old. You've lived in California. He's, he's like, I guess I could always just go next year, right? So, and it's true. Like, he probably could, barring some kind of horrible disaster in his life. But I couldn't, so that was motivational. So I guess what I'm saying is part of what makes home challenging is we, we feel like we have this abundance of time and we're not necessarily motivated to go do special things, but when we're traveling, it's like we only have a week or two weeks, so we we just go and do it all. So asking yourself, like, what would I do if I if I had to move from here in two weeks or a month? Like, what what were the thing? What are the things I'd really want to do and see? And that can help you kind of prioritize. Giving yourself um, a fake time limit. Yeah. Makes you because yeah, I've been in I've been in Los Angeles for fifteen years, and I've never been to Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Or lots of other, you know, great things out here. I've been to Big Bear once. I've been to. I've never been to Joshua Tree. Like, there's so many things. So maybe I should, you know, give myself that that false time limit and start doing some stuff. Yeah, ask ask yourself what would I regret not having done, or however you want to frame it. Right. And then when you have people visit from from out of town, you know, there's a lot of layers of complexity to that. But that can that can help you see it as a special place again because they have 
this different perspective, right? They're, they're kind of open to, to whatever, and they're wowed by things that you're very accustomed to. So that can be a nice upside to having visitors. It's like you get to see it through their eyes. And you have to sit down. I know this because I have people come in in January. I have to sit down and go, I have to have something for these people to do while they're here. What are we going to do? It can't, yeah. it can't just be the same old thing. Like Starbucks, no, that's out. You know? <laughs> yeah. I live five minutes from or so from Thomas Jefferson's house, Monticello. It's mm-hmm. on the back of the nickel. All my friends, everyone in Charlottesville, we all joke like we only ever go there when people are visiting. Right. Like – you only just you take your you take your family there, right? Uh, which makes sense in a way, but it's kind of what you're saying. When it's there all the time, you could always go another time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been great. I feel like you are somebody. I mean, I'm doing this this happiness podcast. I feel like you're somebody I could have on every episode because what I was seeing in the stuff that you've written is you kind of delve into every aspect of happiness, which is kind of interesting to me. But I wanted to ask you specifically about something that you wrote about. I it's, it's not cool in the sort of comedy community that I'm in anymore to do this. In fact, it's way cooler to go, I don't, you know, oh, are you watching one of your sports games? Oh, you're going to go see a sports game? Like you're, 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 you know, I'm a nerd. I'm not into that stuff. But I like nothing more than sitting down on a... Sunday afternoon to watch my Giants these days lose to uh, some other team. And I guess, can you tell me that it's okay to take enjoyment from watching adult men a quarter of a century younger than me beat each other to a pulp every week in ways that I would never be able to? Absolutely. It's not invalid. Absolutely. No. If it brings you pleasure shoot, you enjoy the hell out of it. You're talking to someone who likes to put on silly costumes and five nights a week go sing show tunes. Uh So, you know. I wish I had the courage to do that because I would. Yes, yes. I don't, I can't do it, but I wish (laughs) I could. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying, like what, does it benefit me in any way to watch those things? Not really, but... I do enjoy them. So that's enough. You do it seven days a week and, you know, not shirk all your responsibilities to do it. No, no, I think you enjoy it. And there is, I think a lot of people are, look really hard to find something that they enjoy doing. And if you find it, just enjoy it. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you this one final piece of advice to me or to the world at large about getting happier? Is there anything, you know, I won't say a magic bullet, but is there something that you would go, this is where you need to start? Can I have two? Can I choose two? Love it. Great. Okay. Number one is gratitude. Mm-hmm. Gratitude, gratitude. Just look just look at all the wonderful things we have around us. We're always complaining. You know, the problems that we have in our life really loom large. So just having that gratitude, that mind, that mindfulness toward the good things in your life can help counteract all of that negativity that we're kind of hardwired to face. And my second one is having said all of this, don't worry too much about how happy you are, because once you start obsessing about it, 
it tends to elude you. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that. Is there like the it's sort of like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, right? Like the more you try to measure right. the location, the less you're able to know the velocity. And so the more you try to figure out how to be happier, the more aware you become of the fact that you're not happier and the less happy you are. That's right. I there's so, a lot of research on this in addition to, you know, lived experiences. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so, another challenge of vacations, by the way, is we put so much pressure on ourselves to enjoy them that it can make it extra hard. So this this podcast is setting me up to fail. Just by examining these things, I am doomed to repeat the same mistakes I've made before. No. So <laughs> if you know the recipe, you know the things that work uh -huh. to make okay. to make yourself make yourself happy, you know how to do all of them. Do them, but just don't ask yourself constantly, am I happy? Am I happy? How am I doing? How am I doing? Am I happy right now? Because it's that that's not going to work. So it's just a byproduct of living your life a certain way. So no, I think um, learning the recipe is is good, but don't, don't obsess about each ingredient of the recipe. There it is. It's good to learn the recipe, but don't obsess about the ingredients. Good advice for achieving happiness. Also, good advice for cooking. Special thanks to my guest, Jamie Kurtz. You can follow her on Twitter, at JamieKurtz1. And remember, she spells it Jamie, not Jamie. Uh, her website is jamiekurtz.com. You can find out a lot more about her from there and I would also say if you want to order her book do it from there because she probably uh, gets more for that follow me on Twitter at Sean Conroy the executive producer of Sean Conroy Gets Happier is Lauren Dunnitz our supervisoristical producer is Pete Dalamaga the show was recorded at All Things Comedy Studios in Burbank California our sound engineer and sometime video technician is Aaron Brungart, who once wrote an epistle to the Dalmatians. Scholars theorize this meant inhabitants of the region which is currently part of Croatia. But in fact, it was a fan letter to the Disney dogs. Unfortunately, he did not have a printer at the time, so he had to write 101 letters. Also, unfortunately, dogs can't read. Email us at seanconroygetshappier at gmail.com and we will see you next time. I hope you get happier. Go out there and change the world. Bye.